0: Uh, an analogy might be like a car in that, well, all you need to make a car is just some like iron ore, maybe some aluminum ore and some, maybe some rubber from trees or whatever. I think it's synthetic now. But you have to put it together in a very specific way to create a car that is actually usable and can take you from point A to point B. Right. Uh, same kind of thing for a game build. It's, a, it's like, yes, we have all these raw data and code and everything, but we have to put it together in a usable way. So that's what we'd call a game build.
1: In this episode of the Fika Sessions, we meet build and infrastructure engineer Daniel Gonzalez to find out all we can about what a game build is. Hi Daniel. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. So nice to have you here and so nice of you to bring fika what is this
0: uh well these are kanalbular, uh, here in sweden yeah but uh we also have another type of fika you brought something with. else yeah these yeah. so these
1: are the swedish cinnamon rolls the swedish cinnamon
0: rolls but we
1: have this here we are these are the these the are real
0: ones i wouldn't say real they're both good they're both great oh. i'm not trying to start a war oh. here this is i'm not even i'm not even american so no uh, <laughs> Just look uh, at these. Like, these are cinnamon rolls.
1: Kinda. These are the real ones, yeah. <laughs> so you actually made these uh-huh. and brought them. Yes. And do a little like this. Yeah, totally. So that's amazing in itself.
0: Yeah. My, uh, my, well, honestly, my, my girlfriend did 75% of the work. I, I helped out as much as I could.
1: Well, it's yes. still you still brought homemade vegan. Yes. Not everyone does that. Huh. They smell... The frosting smells so much, the cinnamon smells so much. It's so a lot, lot of, of everything in
0: there. It's a lot of sugar. Yep. <laughs> it's a lot of good. I can I can tell. Yeah, that. I need the calories, obviously. So.
1: Yep. Yeah. So you work here at Massive Entertainment as a build and infrastructure engineer. I do. So on a, a kind of a top level. We always do this every episode. But if you could just describe on a yeah, on a more top level, what does that
0: mean? So yeah, uh, you could say it is DevOps for the snowdrop engine um, in a slightly more detailed Uh, description would be uh, we do two things we handle the builds and we handle the infrastructure required to complete those builds game builds need to go through uh, to create games with the snowdrop engine Uh, we have a whole build pipeline set up for each of our projects and we have a lot of infrastructure hundreds of virtual machines that we run all of these game builds on Uh, so that is the build and infrastructure part of the job title there's already so many questions in there. And <laughs> I can imagine, <laughs> yes. We can go into those.
1: <laughs> uh, but first, before we start getting into that, how did you end up at Massive Entertainment?
0: Uh, that's a little bit of a long story. So, that's okay. Um, many years ago, I played video games. I enjoyed playing video games. I still enjoy playing video games. Um, I played a, game, a video game uh, called uh, Warcraft 3 The Frozen Throne, mm-hmm. the expansion. Uh, We've heard whole, of that one. Yes, I've my, some people have heard of it. It's a little bit of an indie studio. You probably haven't yeah, heard of it. No.
1: the studio name, I don't know.
0: Yeah. Um, anyways, great game. I play that a lot, and uh, I met a good a lot of good friends through it. One good friend, I particularly, in particular, I I uh, kept up with. Her name is Amy. She we became really good friends, and uh, over time, like 10, 12, 15 years later. Uh, She actually texted me one day and told me that her sister was coming to do an exchange at my university uh, while i was finishing up my university as well and uh, she asked me if i could show her sister around and i did Uh, i showed her around town and one thing led to another we started dating so great good stuff um and after a few years a couple years two three years um we she finished school. I finished I was also finished school. I was working for a little while as a as a back end developer at a at a cool company that did um does kind of like 3D visualization for mining industry. Uh and I was working as a back end developer there, like I said. And she finished school and she applied for a master's here at Lund University. Right. And like uh, twenty
1: minutes away from Yeah, Malmo pretty close. Trying,
0: yeah. yeah. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I thought you meant pretty close to Canada over there uh, uh, in, in Calgary. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so she got accepted and I w- we just agreed I would come with her. And uh, and I, I did. And so I didn't really want to move here without a job. So I just started applying frantically to any kind of interesting looking job that I could find. And uh, it just so happened that Massive was hiring people with my pretty general skill set. Uh, not exactly, but I guess we could talk about that after, yep. but, uh, uh, it just so happened that some of my skills were quite applicable to the job that I do today. Right. And, uh, yeah, I interviewed with my lead Marcus and, uh, Damir and, uh, yeah, really good interview. We really hit it off. Uh, the, then I even got a, they flew me in for an interview from Canada. That was only my second time in, in Europe ever. Uh, and then... Yeah, I mean, I got a job offer, I took it. Here I am, uh, yeah. almost three years later. Yeah, yeah, still happy here.
1: Yeah, that, that's the thing with your background as well. You don't really come from a, a gaming background. Not at all, uh, no. A gamer background, yeah. playing games, but not a gaming yes, uh, exactly. production uh, background. But let's start with with school, for example. Yeah. Like, how did you get into programming and to where you are today?
0: Uh, so at the end of high school, I honestly didn't really know what I wanted to do at all. Uh, Even slightly, I just uh, uh, assumed I should go to university. So I did. Uh, (laughs) Sounds relatable, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Uh, My dad suggested uh, economics because uh, I guess I wanted to do a history degree initially. And he said it might be tough to find employment with a history degree, and uh, potentially. Um, So he recommended economics, which I guess in some ways is similar. I mean, you, you look at big picture stuff. Uh, and I applied for economics at the University of Calgary. I got in, I started my degree, and first year was pretty good, but then I realized I really don't like, I guess, academic economics. I really like, I guess, like, in the same way as like popular science, like popular economics, like, mm-hmm. I think it's, it's quite interesting to just see how, how things, the relationship between things and incentives and how different actors behave and all that kind of stuff. But as a profession, I realized I really did not want to do that. In fact, I felt just honestly, I felt pretty crappy. I was quite depressed uh, by the end of my second year of school because I was kind of on a trajectory to do this thing that I really hated, did not like whatsoever. And I was basically on the verge of just dropping out of school. And again, having no idea what to do besides that, I was kind of clueless. So I was very lucky to take um, uh, an elective uh, on my very last semester before, I was like, Yeah, I'm probably not coming back for the next year uh, with a computer science 217 course. That was a Python course. Uh, then uh, I was like, You know what? I want to do this for real. So I actually dropped that course and I dropped all my courses. And then I switched my major to computer science and just like restarted school. Right. Uh, then I did f- three and a half years. Yeah, three and a half years of school in computer science and finished up my degree in computer science.
1: Before we do this episode, we sit down and we do, uh, talk a little bit of what we're going to talk about. And I remember one thing you said during that pre-interview was you realized that programming was the best thing ever. Yeah, yeah. I re- I really uh, got hung up on that because huh? it sounded you sounded really happy when you said it. To yeah, you. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so why do you think programming was the best thing ever for you coming from economics? Okay. Uh, computer science.
0: So I think I when I was in that career uh, Computer Science 217 course, um, the professor, okay, before that, before that, I guess my, obviously, like you have these huge programs like Windows and, and in like Office and Google Search and all these things, I mean, things that you're directly interacting with um, <clears throat> on a regular basis as a, as a regular consumer uh, growing up, so I have all these things. But I, I never really put two and two together in terms of, like, what you could accomplish through programming, right? Right. So I kind of uh, um, thought, well, if I do computer science, I can make an app for iPhone or Android and then sell it and then be rich like those Silicon Valley people. Sure. Uh, and that's what you do. That's what computer science is for. I mean, that's of kind course. of... That was my my... Impression as a high school student coming into computer science, right? Obviously not particularly like well-educated like opinion But that was just my, my thoughts of it makes sense so so I That professor when I went to that course I just took it on a whim and it just so happened that that wasn't the case like I mean there were so many interesting problems you can solve with computer science like uh, uh, it's just so much to, to even get into but I uh, it goes beyond just building apps. I mean, right. of course, I mean, we're talking about games here. You're building, you're still building things. You're always building things, right? But computer science as a discipline is just so much more than that. It's really just like the science of problem solving in some okay. ways, computationally. Um, yeah, he, he kind of uh, had quite an impression on me in terms of here is this, thi- this methodical approach to the world where you can represent things and solve problems with it that you can really use for anything. Hmm. All the manual work, a lot of the manual work that you do every day, you, you can kind of just automate through programming and it's not just, and it's, to me, the, I know it sounds quite like simple to say now in terms of uh, everyone knows, oh, of course you can learn Python or whatever. You can learn something to automate some of your manual work, right? But I just had never really even considered that at the time. Right. So. I started doing that for like everything my my some of my note taking my my backups like I started writing cron jobs for everything like uh, it just it kind of went from there that was like the the little shove that I needed to see like the whole wider world of how technology was all interconnected yeah, uh, yeah. um yeah if, uh, if that answers the question i guess it, it does it's a bit I, around the issue but yeah
1: but yeah. well, i think it's super fascinating but uh-huh. starting to pick apart a little bit of what you talked
0: about before like words that's come up during this conversation
1: uh-huh uh what is for example devops
0: so that's that's a big one so devops well it comes from the words developer and operations um historically so developer operations devops it kind of tries to minimize the friction between development and operations right. historically the the developers uh, the people who who i guess create the software create things uh, want to like create their features, get their bug fixes, they, they want to do things quickly. They want to create features and get them out to the consumers as fast as possible, right? Because that's, that's your job, right? Um, but the people who have to operate these things, the this software, they don't, I mean, they want stability at kind of all costs. Like th- their, their main goal is not let YouTube go down for two hours, right? Because right. if that happens, Google loses a ton of money, right? Yep. So they don't, they don't want amazing new features, they want stability. And that's it, kind of comes down to that. So there's kind of like a, was historically uh, uh, some friction between those two groups. You want to create things fast and ship them fast. We want to hold stability and not ship them fast. We want to keep things stable, right? We don't want to release a new update on Friday uh, in the evening because it'll be a bad weekend for everybody. Uh, DevOps, like I said, kind of grew as a discipline to. Reduce the friction between those two groups. It uh, it kind of uses a bunch of different principles to to do that. So um, it can get as simple as automation. So there's a whole lot of, uh, for example, just manual work that you have to do every time you create a release that you can automate right. through through DevOps, right? Um, there's other things like continuous integration and continuous deployment. Uh, these things alongside uh, like testing of your code and integration tests and everything um, allow you to allow the, de- the developers to create their changes, create their features and their bug fixes and all the stuff they want to develop and release them in such a way that these releases come, become small and quick. And uh, if something does break, they're easy to roll back. So you continually integrate changes and continually deploy those changes to production. That means that instead of one huge change that comes every month or something and changes everything and has the potential to bring the the billion-dollar website down for hours, uh, you release much smaller, much lower-risk changes several times a day, for example, right? Right. And this happens almost everywhere at this point. Um, The philosophy, I guess, kind uh, kind of... Kind of... grew up at Google, uh, I mean, early 2010s, uh, with, uh, there, they have like a, a book called like the, the software reliability engineering handbook, I think. And it's, uh, it kind of brings up these, uh, concepts here. I mean, the DevOps was an idea before that, but they kind of like really solidified it into the profession of site reliability engineering, right? The way they do it at Google. And a lot of companies like, uh, I think Netflix is quite famous for this. Like, uh, took that and ran with it and slightly changed it in their own ways to to make it uh make make their their approach work for them what right. they do. Um I mean there's there's much more to it than just like automation and testing. Uh, DevOps uh, as a philosophy encompasses much more than just like CI, C D and automation. I mean they're there are big parts of it, but another big part of it is monitoring. So you want to monitor and alert on problems you want to monitor all the different metrics that you can on all your applications, uh, particularly important things. But uh, when you have important metrics to monitor, you want to alert when problems happen, as soon as they happen to the people who can fix these problems, right? To minimize any kind of downtime. If, for example, YouTube does go down for uh, reasons, the person, who is best uh, suited to solve the problems that cause it to go down should probably be alerted immediately. Yeah. And this is in addition to the automation we just talked about. Like, I mean, if you can automatically solve these problems, if, for example, just like one of the computers that keeps it up goes down, well, it's automatically restart it and not have to alert anybody and things are fine, right? Even right. if there is a second of downtime or two, right? Um, but we're talking in the case that something manual needs to be done. Uh, then alert the person needs to, right? Yeah. So this kind of keeps you kind of keeps stress low for everybody, right? Because are you being alerted of a problem? And, and, and to be fair, you won't be alerted when it's a catastrophic failure. You're, you were alerted when things might become a problem and then when they become bigger problems. And then when it's really, really bad, you get another alert. So yeah. it's, it's really, it's not just like, if you're not getting any alerts, you're probably fine, yeah. generally, right? So you kind of iterate on this process in, uh, is there anything that is urgent, that needs my attention. If not, okay, we're probably good. Yeah. Let's continue to build this system and continue to automate more manual work so that we can continue doing these things. Uh, um, yeah. 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 Um, so going from, from that to a game build. Yes.
1: So what I, I think we, we've we all heard, especially when you're working in the <coughs> industry, you hear the word uh, yes. build. Mm-hmm. Um, what's a game build and how do you, How is it created?
0: Mm -hmm. So games in general, but particularly AAA games, have a lot of assets and code and just components that are needed to be put together in a very specific way. They need to be processed and baked and all sorts of these things. They need to be processed from their raw form into something that is actually usable and can be, for example, executed as a game server or as a a client that you can play for any any of the games that we make. Um, If it's an online game, right? Uh, even for single-player games, you still need to process all, the, all this, this texture, these textures and the animations and the meshes and everything. It needs to be put together in a specific way so that it's actually usable. Uh, an analogy might be like a car in that, well, all you need to make a car is just some like iron ore, maybe some aluminum ore and some, maybe some rubber from trees or whatever. I think it's synthetic now, but you have to put it together in a very specific way to create a car that is actually usable and can take you from point A to point B. Right. Uh, Same kind of thing for a game build. It's it's like, yes, we have all these raw data and code and everything, but we have to put it together in a usable way. So that's what we'd call a game build. Um, Yeah. And how's that done? So Now we're uh, going on a very practical level. Yes, but. so uh, we do everything manual, uh, manually. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> so one of these principles is to automate things, right? So we use something called the build system to automate this entire process. Going back to that analogy of the car, well, yes, you have to process all these ores and the rubber and everything to create the tires and you know, and the paint and all that good stuff. So yes, we could just have a whole team of engineers to come here every day and mine the ore, refine it, take it through. I mean, I need to say I don't know anything about cars here, but we're like having, but they, they're right. making the car manually by hand every step of the way, right? Yeah. So that would be very inefficient because I mean, for those reasons, right? you, you create a factory that creates cars and can can create a, a pipeline of like these people do this thing, these people do these things. And eventually you do come from maybe not necessarily raw materials, but you come from, from components and then eventually you res- it, the result is a car and right. in fact you can come they're reproducible you don't just make one car you make multiple cars and they just kind of keep going right so in this analogy the build system is kind of the the car factory uh that we use to create game builds so we one example might be uh, baking voices or audio or something that we have tons of raw audio that needs to be put into a format that the game can actually use right and put it in the right places and all that stuff um, we could manually go on a computer do this process by running the a script and then send it to the next person who needs to do the next step that's one way to, to slightly automate it i guess but it's still quite manual a better approach might be to Uh, Create a system that can orchestrate these processes to multiple machines, right? So um, if you have some sort of like uh, intelligent system that can tell on that machine, do the audio. On that machine at the same time, because there's no dependency between these things, do maybe the animations. Uh, do the nav mesh over there and the global illumination over there. We can do all these things at once if there's no dependencies between them, right? Right. If there are dependencies in the sense that you need to do one step before another, we'll do that. And as soon as you're done, this step, send it to the other one, right? And if we can automate this whole process, we can kind of remove ourselves from the equation and kind of just like watch as overseers from above, right? Like, aha, our, our things are being done and the process is being completed and we're getting cars in the end. Or yeah. game builds, so we use the build system as this uh, this whole uh, overseer orchestration thing that that uh, creates our cars or our game builds right. from the raw assets, code, everything. Right? Um, game builds are reproducible, so uh, and reproducible, and um, I forget what the term would be, but basically for some given versions of of all the assets needed to create this game build through the build system um, you get a game build that is specific to those inputs so if you use different inputs you can actually get a slightly different game build right so i mean and if you have bugs in one of them you fix some of the changes and then rerun it through the build system to create a new game build and now you might those bugs may be fixed hopefully yeah um
1: Because you have a bunch of game builds going at the same time. Yes,
0: yes. We have, uh, well, every project does minimum one, but usually several per day, right? Yeah. And we have multiple projects going. So it's a, it could be, I mean, just, just, even just the fact that you would have to do this manually is a good enough reason to have a, a build system, right? that just it would take hours upon hours to do this for for any one person or yeah. just or just like man hours, person hours to, to get this process done. So why not just automate it to make it faster? But in addition to that, it's also extremely error prone if you are a person doing this, right? Um, so uh, you can run it through the build system that I mean is a computer. And if you configure things correctly, it is reproducible and you will always get the same build from the same inputs, right? Yep. So, um, yeah, so there's a, there's much less error, uh, human error involved in that process.
1: And this is where the DevOps thing with the monitoring and, the exactly, and everything right? comes Right. So if,
0: if something that we've done, for example, some human error that we've done in, in configuring the system has broken the game builds, the game developers are not going to be happy, or our clients, the game developers are not going to be happy because you are writing a cool new feature and you can't see it in the game because right. we messed up, right? So... Um, yes, so we want to be alerted uh, to when problems happen as soon as they happen and so we can fix them, right? If yep. the, if we can't manually fix, if we can't automatically fix them because we do have a lot of automatic automation going that fixes these problems. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So alerting, monitoring, it's really, really good, useful stuff. Yeah.
1: So how does a daily day or a regular day uh-huh. in the life of a build and infrastructure engineer look?
0: Huh. Uh, it's pretty varied, actually. I uh, This is one of my favorite things about the job, that no two days are really the same. I mean, I mean sometimes you have a lot of meetings, of course. That's kind of work. Yeah. But uh, you come in, in the morning, you check your emails or your team's notifications or whatever. Do you have problems? The, like, has the build system sent us alerts that need to be manually fixed? Uh, if not, okay, great. Uh, but, I mean, hopefully not, right? Hopefully things are, are all great and we don't have to do any work. Um, but if not, if so, if there are problems, okay, let's investigate and fix them. I and mean, we have a fairly large team of people. It's not like everyone handles every problem. We're, we're, we can be quite specialized in our team. Yeah. But, um, uh, for example, I, I am quite uh, heavy into the monitoring and alerting stuff that I, that I discussed, right? So if there is a problem, it, we, we, the monitoring system monitors itself as well, right? So if the monitoring system fails to, to monitor things... I mean, it sounds a little bit redundant there, but like if there are problems with the monitoring system, it will also let us know. Yeah. And I check those kinds of things, right? So that's kind of one of the things you do. You check in the morning, are there any problems? If so, let's fix them, right? Or see how we can fix them or talk to some expert who knows how we can fix these things and then hook them up with that, right? Um, what One of the strengths, one of the best strengths of our build system, I think, is that we have offloaded having to be experts of, of the sys of all components of the system. In fact, I know nothing about animations or audio, video, anything like that. Uh, I'm a complete noob at all that. So we talk to the domain experts. We talk to the animation programmers and the artists and everyone, and we let that we offload the load of configuring their stuff. They know how animations works. Right. They know how how their art works and their and their textures and stuff. They know how that all works, and we allow them the we give them the power to configure the build system for their components to their to their benefit right right we don't I don't have to know how anything works because they handle that right Right. and when there's problems they are able to solve it for their on their end we just configure the system not uh, the specifics right Um, yeah so when you don't have problems Uh uh-huh we don't have problems Huh? That's that's not uh, not that common. But when there are no problems, <laughs> so it, we kind of actually repeat this whole cycle, right? The whole um, the whole like DevOps cycle. Like mm. you, you you plan changes. Do you create those changes? You test those changes, and then you deploy those changes. You monitor the changes to see if anything went wrong, and if so you plan changes that fix the changes that you've made, right? The problems that you've made and you repeat the whole process again. Right? Right. So that's kind of what our workflow kind of goes to. We, at least, at least like in in theory, it's not always exactly like that, but say there are no problems. There are no immediate problems to fix. Okay. So let's still plan. How can we improve the system so that it runs even more smoothly, like grease the wheels kind of thing. Right. Let's automate more stuff that is currently manual, right? We we, we do a whole lot of that. So uh, we we have Jira like everybody else. We have our our tickets. We we say yeah, fix this manual process. How can we improve this, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the build system itself is quite a large piece of software, so it, it itself can always be improved. It doesn't always make the best decisions. I mean, uh, it has its own inefficiencies, all that stuff. So yeah, we can always improve that. Yeah. Um, which is what I mean, like there's a lot of variety. It's not just follow these steps every day. It's a uh, uh, one day it could be like, oh, build a monitoring system or improve it or make it so it's less spammy. Um, another day could be like uh, uh, investigate why these game builds aren't working for that project uh, because this step, this thing keeps happening. So maybe we talk about, to the domain experts like we were talking about, hey, do you have any idea why these problems are be happening, if so, we can kind of, we kind of just like get closer to the solution like that, right? right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole lot of variety there.
1: Yeah, sounds
0: very dynamic. And yes, yeah. 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 So what tools do you use? Oh, this is my favorite part. <laughs> um, so on a day-to-day basis, like our, our built system is written in like Python and we use Python 3 a lot uh, in the standard like microservices uh, tool set for, for Python. Uh, If you like your Flask and your RESTful API stuff, all that good stuff. Um, We use uh, Grafana and Prometheus and Zabbix as our monitoring stack that we use to both monitor the the build system and uh, like outputs of it. Um, And of course, we have like emails and teams and all that good stuff for communication tools. Um, Let's see, what else? Uh, I do a lot of note taking, so I mean, of course, you have your code editor to go along with your programming language, your your scripting language. We write, uh, and one of the strengths of Python is the the scripting capabilities of it. It's really easy to kind of come up with one off scripts to to automate this one specific manual thing I have to do today. Right. Very very simple. Um, I use like VS Code and NeoVim. I also use Emacs. Like I'm all three. I'm I'm that kind of person. Let's see, what other tools do I use? I mean, it's just so much that it's hard to say. We have a lot of internal tools that we use, but most of our stack is open source. uh, So we can, uh, uh, yeah, pretty easy to build with that. Uh, A really nice thing is that because most of our stack is open source in terms of how we build stuff, some key parts are not, but because most of it is, it's very easy to transfer skills like to other other companies or game companies, right? So I think recruiting actually helps quite a bit. It's not it's not like you have to have experience with this specific game dev tool. And if you don't, then I mean we can't really work with it. Not that it's always like that, but for us it's just it's so versatile. The tool set is so versatile. Basically, if you've done DevOps somewhere else, you can probably do DevOps here, right? Right. So yeah, it's quite easy to kind of get picked pick up and go with it. Uh, yeah. yeah.
1: So if you're sitting at home, uh, either as a student or somebody who's already in the field or, or l- just looking into the field, um, mm-hmm. because a lot of stuff you say is really fascinating how complex everything is put together and sitting there at home as a budding engineer. or mm-hmm. What practical tips would you have for me?
0: Um, get pretty decent with a scripting language like Python or Go or Ruby or something like that. Learn about uh, learn about these DevOps principles. Like, what is continuous integration? What's continuous deployment? How do they work? Good software testing. Like, uh, um, one of the, one of the to some degree, like SRE and build engineering and DevOps and all these fields. They're they're more. Some people think like like the experience level people use to get into these is quite high. For example, some people like. It's rare for people to go straight from school to do this kind of stuff. Usually you take some other, like me, like you take some other path, you work somewhere else, you happen to gain some of these skills doing that uh, while also learning, for example, some programming or something like that, and then come in. There's kind of two routes to get here. You can do it through the programming route or through the operations route. So as as an IT administrator, sysadmin, you can gain some scripting knowledge. And then from there, the automation's kind of, you already have the infrastructure knowledge here so let's learn to how to automate this infrastructure. Right. Um, so yeah, like learn learn some programming. Um, read the Google Site Reliability Engineering book. It's uh, free, completely free, and it's really really good. Uh, yeah. Uh, look up everything you don't know on there. There's there's just so many good resources. I mean, in YouTube, there's so many good uh, uh, YouTube channels that are like Jeff Geerling, Tech World with Nana. They're they're fantastic people who clearly really know their trade and uh, have a great, uh, they're great at teaching it too. So, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. You know what? Yeah, you want to have some? I would love to have some fika. more well, do you, do you want the Swedish one or want oh, the- Oh no, you're making me choose, aren't you? Yeah. No, 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 no.
1: <laughs> we can have both. Yeah. We can actually have both. Maybe someone behind the camera wants some. Yeah, But we first. won't let them because we'll eat them. <laughs> perfect. I'm gonna try yours actually. Yeah, perfect. I'll, I will that. try I know what too. these taste like. Yes, so. of
0: course. Um, see this is, is heavy. Thick. This thick with three C's. <laughs> uh, again, one of these things. You
1: can't feel it, but th- this one weighs a ton, man. Okay. All right. This is not going to look pretty. Oh. Okay. Oh, perfect. my God. <laughs> I'm going to hide my mustache behind. Yeah, I kind of just gave up on
0: that. Yeah.
1: Thank you so much for coming it's been fantastic learned so much about really complicated stuff
0: thank you for having me i hope i was
1: able to help anytime and now let's try to finish this let's do it thank you very much thank you so much for joining our fika today we put a bunch of useful links in the description so make sure to check those out if you want to learn more also remember to like subscribe and all that fun stuff you do on the internet until next time
0: take care